Our scripture this morning comes from the Old Testament reading in the selections in the Revised Common Lectionary, and I invite you to turn there now in the Bibles that you've brought with you from or in the Bibles that you'll find in your pews to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. And as you read or as you listen to the scripture read, pay attention. I'd like you to pay attention to what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah about how the kingdom of God will operate. Listen. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. And come to me, listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. With the events unfolding in Ukraine and Eastern Europe, you know, most of my attention as I read the news has, has been on world news. It's been on those events. But there were in this past week and a half here in our city in local news that, that caught my attention and that have continued to sort of rattle around in my mind over these last days. The first was a fatal shooting that occurred here in Fort Lauderdale at a a local restaurant this past Tuesday where one of our young people works. A young man in our community allegedly murdered in anger over a failed romantic relationship. And the second story was this rash of hospitalizations that have due to illicit drugs that are being cut with even more powerful narcotics. And and reading a little bit about that, according to a 2019 blog post, the practice of cutting a variety of illicit substances with, with fentanyl, this incredibly powerful opiate, is relatively common. Adding fentanyl to other drugs results in a powerful high. Uh, it's far more 
addictive in this substance, and so it helps those who sell drugs build a larger base of reliable customers. Of course, of people's lives. In other words, to simplify, it's, it's a marketing strategy. What is troubling is continue to think about these two incidents, about what is underneath them, what is undergirding them, what is motivating them. Relatable the motives are. In the latter, a desire for profit that leads to unethical decision-making, above all else. Anyone ever done that? Or the former, broken relationship leading to toxic behaviors, anger, desire to see someone hurt. Ever been there? Now, now both of these are desperate attempts at control to, to manage the way that the world around to get mine. And these are extreme examples, for sure. And they're easy to dismiss as having been committed by, by people far worse or wicked than we you to resist the temptation to quickly dismiss them, to distance yourselves from them. And perhaps our sins are better disguised or haven't led directly to the loss of life. But the foundation is there and the assumptions that we share about the way that the world works common, the need to control, to manipulate, to put self over others. So let's dig into that for a moment. Have you ever paused to consider how it is that you navigate? Just coming to church this morning, the process of waking up and getting out of bed, of making coffee and preparing yourself breakfast, of, of getting dressed and getting into the car and driving, all of these tiny decisions that go into that. For many of you, my guess is that it was sort of on autopilot. You were perhaps thinking of other things. Maybe as you drove here to church, you took a turn and found yourself at work. Have you ever made that mistake? Our minds are incredible tools capable of so much. According to Yale professor of neurobiology, he says there are over 100 billion cells in our brain, each of them making over 10,000 connections to other cells in the brain. And while the large number of possible combinations is what allows us for higher order thinking, there is a huge cost in terms of energy. And so, the brain learns to end efficiently to save energy. 
They call this effect, this, this encoding for efficiency, the iceberg phenomenon, where the, the tip of the iceberg is the only essential information that you need to that there is a whole other iceberg underneath the surface of the water. In other words, your brain gathers a very small amount of information and then makes predictions, largely on your past experiences, in order not to overwhelm your brain. And so it categorizes and, and automates decisions as you work through the day. Consider of unconscious decisions or things that you know that play a part in simply going out to dinner. You walk into the restaurant and you instinctively know where to look for finding your seat. You locate that host or stand, or, or perhaps you look for that sign that just says, seat yourself. And perhaps someone turns to you and says, follow me, or or perhaps they say nothing at all, you just instinctively know to follow the person with the menus. And they hand you these pieces of paper that are perhaps folded or two-sided cardboard, or now perhaps it's just a laminated square of gibberish on your table, and you know to take your phone out and scan it. There's no conversation about this. These are all just happening and you sit at a table with all the tools laid out for you that you're going to need for the meal and you methodically work your way through the server approaches and you expect them to ask you for your drink order first. Once all and you look around and you make eye contact around the room and you do this. The universal signal for we're ready to leave. And you close out the transaction. We have over time learned expectations and rituals, these thoughts that are happening under the surface, we are unaware. They are even happening. And, and thank goodness, because otherwise we would be overwhelmed. Can you imagine if we consciously had to navigate all of these challenges or situations? Most of the time, this is a very good thing. In a 2020 Vox article, science writer Brian Resnick writes, the story our brains generate matches the real physical world. But not always. Our brains also unconsciously bend our perception of reality to meet our desires or our expectations. It fills in the gaps using past experiences. In, in other words, sometimes... When things aren't unfolding in the real world the way that we expect, we alter our perception of reality to meet our assumptions. Hear that again. When things aren't happening in the real world the way our brains expect, our brain will alter our perception of reality to meet our assumptions. Take this visual illusion designed by MIT neurobiology professor Edward Adelson, for example. Have a look at the screen. Almost. Look at squares A and B. As it begins, A and B are the same color. However, when B is cast in an then surrounded by darker tiles, it begins to look 
lighter. Watch. The color is not really changing. Your brain simply decides, based on previous experience, that it should. There is shadow there, that there are darker tiles. Your brain begins to see it in a different color. The apparent lighting of tile B is a story told by our brains. Thank you, Mario. How many of you believe me it's not a different color? So many illusions work like this. Even when you're told about the trick, you still can't un the illusion. Resnick concludes, the stories our brains tell us about reality are extremely compelling, even when they're wrong. I'd like you to consider a possibility. What if, what if some of the stories or assumptions that we have about the way that the world works are wrong? Or rather, what if they are not the same assumptions that the kingdom of God is based upon? The way it operates. How might that shape our perception of reality? How might that shape the way that we interact with the world? and our understanding of what God is doing. Our passage in Isaiah this morning begins by hinting that the kingdom of God may not match our assumptions. All who thirst, come and buy without money. The passage is simply, it is going to be different. God says, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. But let's set that aside for just a moment. What, what is being addressed here in the book of Isaiah? The kingdom of Israel at this point in their history has been defeated. The kingdom of Judah has been defeated. The leaders of Jerusalem have been carried off to Babylon and the temple has been destroyed. For the Jewish people, all of the tangible ways that it meant to be God's people had been undone. From the land that had been promised them, God's temple had been raised to the ground. All of their base assumptions for what it meant to be God's people had been upended. Remember, their history is founded upon covenants with God. If they will be, will follow the law, live rightly, then God will be with them. They will live in the promised land, and the kingdom of David will reign forever. These covenants with Abraham, with Moses, with David. They have at this point ostensibly been broken in the eyes of the Jewish people. The temple, the sign of God's presence with them has been destroyed. They've been carried out of the promised land and off to Babylon. And the Davidic line is at least in their minds. But here in the book of Isaiah and here in chapter 55, hope breaks through. God refers to a new covenant here in verse 3, and he says this, I will make you with you an everlasting, my steadfast, sure love. This word here, that this new covenant is to be founded upon, is a Hebrew word, hesed. It's translated here as steadfast, sure love. 
but it's translated in numerous ways throughout the Old Testament. And it's meant to express love as an action. In many places, it's translated as kindness. John Oswald translated it as the unmerited favor of God. This is what this new covenant is going to be based upon. None of the actions that have been in place before. But how do the Israelites, how do the Israelites react to this new covenant? To these new assumptions, this way of unmerited favor. We know how they responded based on what we read in the New Testament. As the disciples wait for a Messiah, what is it that they are looking for? Well, they're looking for restoration. They're looking for a Messiah that will bring back their land, rebuild the temple, restore the Davidic line. Several hundred years after the time of Isaiah, the disciples are still waiting for a Messiah to restore the land, the kingdom of David. They are not waiting for a crucified Savior on a cross. Because frankly, that's absurd. The stories that our brains tell us are extremely compelling, even when they are wrong. So what assumptions about the kingdom of God might we be getting wrong? If the chosen people are missing it, what are we missing? Firstly, I think we like to manage God's work of salvation, God's covenant of hesed. We make a formula out of it. Prayer that you must pray. A secret passcode that we give out that that we know the words to and we decide who is in and who is out. God says here that it will be for all people. He says, see, you shall not know and nations that do not know you shall run to you god here in the in the 55th chapter of isaiah expands the covenant beyond just the chosen people but if we are honest the idea that god's kingdom still rubs us the wrong way think for a moment about the last two years your interactions with people issues of politics, the pandemic, mask wearing to vaccinate or not, perhaps other things. Who are those people that you have because of their views in any one of those areas? I know that I'm guilty. What do you mean they're included too? But who are we to manage the unmerited favor of God? What assumptions about yourself are you getting wrong? God made you to be about what you are capable of. 
Do you need to hear this morning that God made you good regardless of your past experience? Here's the good news, friends, is that God knows all of this. And we live in ways that do not bring life. We have broken covenant. We are bitter that all are invited to value ourselves. And yet God says, come to me. My pardon is abundant because my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. The reality is this. God's love is absurd. It's reckless. If you will come and listen, God will abundantly pardon. There is very little in my experience that makes sense of that. That makes sense of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God and the absurdity of the cross. Of allowing, allowing your life, of allowing our lives to be transformed by a power beyond our control that we cannot manage, that operates counterintuitive to human logic, that seeks to make a way for everyone, even that person. Gaining life only when we learn to begin giving it away. Allowing our lives to be transformed by a power that operates on a different pattern of assumptions for the world. Where favor is free. Unmerited grace is for all. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.